called Jantar Binks. This is your humble servant. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rough Cut Retrospective, episode 170, a podcast that talks about movies, TV, pop culture, mid-sequels. You be the judge. We'll be the judge. Uh, Misa, your host, Carter Sims. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Knowledge is His Treasure. It's Jackson Mahurin. Hey, pal, how are you? I got a bad feeling about this. Oh, Star Wars reference in a different movie. Wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, how are you, man? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing uh, so well. Back for the second edition of Seeing Double as we mm-hmm. welcome in uh, February. And as always, on our journey, we are not alone in our Seeing Double excursion. Joining us for episode two of this little uh, excursion. Now this is podcasting. It's Jeff Brown. How are you, pal? I'm living the dream, Carter. Thanks for having me back. Excited to talk about two of my all-time faves. Ready to defend them to the death. <laughs> Let's do it. I love it. Uh, yes, today, as we've alluded to, uh, seeing double episode two, we are uh, tackling some of our childhood favorites. We're talking Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace, and Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We'll get into it. Have they held up? Have they not? Do we still love them? Maybe. We'll get there. But first, Jackson, kick us off. Tell me something, boy. Tell me something, boy. What have you been into the past week, buddy? Yeah, you know, this has been a weird week for me as far as like watching stuff, just because we we did our our rewatches of of the classics that we're going to talk about soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just been busy with some other stuff. So I haven't done a ton of new watches. However, um, I did finally get a, get around to finishing uh, the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow comic, which was just amazing. Good timing. Um, ju- yeah, great timing with uh, uh, Millie Alcock uh, being uh, casted as Supergirl and the uh, live action movie of this, which is pretty great. I'm I'm super excited. I think getting like a Game of Thrones actress into a project like this makes a lot of sense because it is more of a fantasy sci-fi type of epic than it is anything else. And so Mm -hmm. I think that'll be like perfect um, for what they're going with there. So I think that's really cool. And uh, then I started another comic by Tom King uh, who's who wrote woman of tomorrow and is writing the script for woman of tomorrow called strange adventures. And this is really Mm -hmm. cool too. Um, Actually, Jeff, I think, I feel like you would really like this. Um, It's um, about this, like think like a, um, just like a Buck Rogers space adventurer who is kind of like this war hero, like the Rocketeer also. Um, and he gets like investigated for war crimes after he like writes a book. It's so, like it's like the Justice League invest- investigating him for any wrongdoing. And it's pretty cool. Um, and it's kind of like an interesting critique of like figures falling in media and he- and like what it means to be a hero. And it- 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 I'm liking it so far. It's pretty out there and pretty cool. And I like the art a lot. So um, that's been cool. Uh, I just started an internship for the Swift Film Festival, which has been pretty fun. So I've been like watching a bunch of student international films. Nice. Um, which has been cool because it's just like, man, everyone making art just makes me happy. And the stuff, some stuff is ridiculous. Some stuff is like pretty fun. And it's all around just amazing. And I like that too. So at first, when you said that, I thought you started the movie, The Internship. And I was like, oh, uh, why did you no. stop? Okay. I have seen that. Out of boy. <laughs> but now. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been up to. Uh, what about you, Jeff? Um, I've, I've been up to to a little bit. Um, I've been continuing. I mentioned on the 
the first episode two weeks ago, I've been watching old film noir. So I've watched um, five since then. The Third Man, Gilda, The Big Heat, Pick Up on South Street and Detour. Mm. And they've all been just okay. Mm. Um, they're all kind of the same. I have a hard time distinguishing them in my brain when I look at their titles. Um, I will say sure. The Third Man was my first Orson Welles. And... Mm. Um, sorry, I can hear my baby crying. Um, <laughs> he big Orson Welles fan, your baby. Yeah, <laughs> um, he uh, well, the third man, I gave it two and a half stars because it was pretty boring. You can tell that Orson Welles is is who he is. Um, I think this was before Citizen Kane. No, it was post Citizen Kane. Yeah. But he's just clearly above and beyond the the genre. Um, it's like feels a lot more modern and innovative than any of his other stuff. But um, and then two modern films I've watched was I finally got around to Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, I seen that. Um, loved it. Um, felt kind of weird thinking about Happy Feet the whole time. <laughs> the thing, you know, yeah, George Miller for the best. Um, and then Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, which I actually thought was better than. People made it sound better than Jackson made it sound. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, that's fair. It was fine. It was fun. I had fun. Yeah. Biba had an okay time, right? Yeah. She's she's better time than you. She is reading the book right now and she's like, it's it's okay. It's fine. There you go. So, um, great. I, I watched the first Mad Max this past year, Jeff. And I was like, this is so strange that this became what it is now like fury road it's a really i still don't really know what the movie's about uh the first mad max it's quite something so excited for furiosa um does it is max in like is that the same character in all of them yeah uh mel gibson is tom hardy's character so it's like Mm. a re a a reboot technically but like a different whole vibe I, i don't know that whole franchise kind of confuses me. I should watch the other two movies before I does, judge it. But does, yeah, I guess maybe we'll wait till then. Because I just don't know. Does does is Fury Road like where is that on the timeline? Does that take place after or before? That's a great question. I, I don't even think I can answer it. Um, I retained so little from Mad Max. Um, but Mad Max Fury Road, like I have a a great spot. I, I need to read some articles. I got to figure it out. I'll I'll do some research okay. for you next time. I'll come back. Uh, and have all the information for you. Um, But this week, uh, I watched for the first time, I completed the Godfather trilogy finally. I watched Godfather Part 3, which I think has been recut. I think I watched a recut version. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was called like Godfather the Coda or something. And then um, it's it's fine. The Child of Death of Deaf Adults. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was fine. Um, Sofia Coppola is horrible. Um, I'm glad she's a filmmaker now. She's much better there. Um, yeah, just really miscast and didn't need to be there. Um, so it was fine. It was, I think it gets overhated, but I can definitely see why people don't like it. Um, and then on the plane back, I was in Syracuse this week visiting some family friends and on the plane back, I decided to fire up old boy on Netflix and what a plane movie this was. Um, this movie, I don't know if you guys violent for a plane, right? Yeah. Have you got, have either of you seen old boy? No, it's on my watch yeah. list. No. Yeah. Um, it's really fucked up. Um, I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything. It's just like a real trip and a real ride and like one of the more fucked up movies I've ever seen, but I loved it. So 
I'll let you guys go on that journey because I didn't know anything going into it except for that like hallway fight scene that everyone talks yeah, about. Yeah, that's all I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was quite a trip. Highly recommend. Um, great playing movie, but maybe not if you're sitting next to somebody. Um, a child. Yeah. Don't watch it next to a child. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind He's of Hey, look at this. <laughs> Dude, look, this fight scene. Can you read these subtitles? Um, so yeah. Um, other than that, I, uh, yeah, I spent most of the time. Uh, rewatching these uh these movies that we're going to talk about now. So I say we we get into it. Let's uh, move on to seeing double. Oh, don't do this to me. I'm already seeing double. And as mentioned, we're covering two movies again today. Uh, the first being Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I'm going to give just some details, some synopsis, synopses of the movie. And I'm going to throw to Jackson to kind of talk about um, kind of why we decided to pair these two movies together and which will expand our conversation. So Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was directed by the GOAT, Steven Spielberg, came out in 2008. Uh, Indiana Jones becomes entangled in a Soviet plot to uncover the secret behind mysterious artifacts known as the Crystal Skulls, written by George Lucas, David Kep who wrote Spider-Man, Jurassic Park, Mission Impossible, and for the boys here, Zathura. Shout out to Zathura. Decided to throw that in for you. And uh, Jeff Nathanson, who wrote Catch Me If You Can, The Lion King, and Speed 2 Cruise Control. I like to give the highs and the lows. So, um, Starring Harrison Ford, Kate Blanchett, Karen Allen, Shia LaBeouf, Ray Winstone, and John Hurt. And then our second pairing is... Uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which is uh, directed and written by George Lucas. What a great writer. Uh, Anakin Skywalker, a young slave strong with the Force, is discovered on Tatooine. Meanwhile, the evil Sith have returned, enacting their plot for revenge against the Jedi. Starring Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Jake Lloyd, Ian McDermott, and of course, Ahmed Best. Jackson... I'm going to throw to you. Why did we decide to uh, pair these two movies together for our, our double feature today? Yeah, I think we decided to pair these together because one, they have a lot of similarities, both being from Lucasfilm and, you know, George Lucas written. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like it is kind of this interesting beloved franchise who are both getting these like sequels slash like legacy, pre- like prequel, like spinoffs mm-hmm. Um that are kind of just like considered to be like at the time, especially like they ruined the trilogy, like the, the precious trilogy that came before it. Yeah. And so like they, they both got a lot of hate um, to varying degrees um, over these, over these fan bases, which I think is kind of, kind of interesting. And I, I will say too something about it that I think is kind of interesting uh, of the things that alienate the original fan base. I think the introduction of like hard science into like the realm of their lore and mythos is definitely something that turned away both of the fan bases between, you know, the fourth dimensional aliens and the midichlorian stuff, um, which is kind of interesting there. And also just a f- not fun, I guess, but something not super uh, good is that they both have some pretty harsh ethnic stereotypes in, in both of these movies as well. Um, but yeah, I think those are like maybe the main similarities there. Yeah, I think like historically also like not the best track record in terms of the racial stereotypes as well, even in, you know, Indiana Jones, like I think Temple of Doom mm-hmm. specifically, uh, of course, like there's always outliers there in regards. But but yeah, um, 
great points and great connections why we're kind of tackling these today. Do you guys want to start with digging deep into Crystal Skull and then kind of end on a on a shebang because uh, Jeff and I are going to sure. educate Jackson on the Phantom Menace. It's going to be great. <laughs> let's do that. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, let's start with a uh, Crystal Skull. Um, Jeff, I'll start. I'll start by throwing it to you. When was the first time you watched Crystal Skull? Do you remember the first time you you got to see Indiana Jones on the big screen? Yeah, it was on the big screen. That was the first time I had seen and only time I had seen it until two days ago when I rewatched it for the pod. But um, yeah, I don't really have much recollection of seeing it other than um, having a pretty strong visualization of the crystal skull. And it's what I think of every time I see a baby with the cone head. (laughs) Um, But my own son included. But yeah, I, I can't say... Oh, and obviously, I mean, there's like moments of it that I that you can think of, like the the uh, the fridge nuclear blast. But classic. Uh, other than that, I, it felt like I was watching it for the first time. Um, obviously, almost 15 years, I guess, is a long time to go between viewings. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can't I can't remember sitting in theaters in particular. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. Do you remember Jackson? Do you remember seeing it in theaters or the circumstances? I have no idea because all I remembered really was like the the fact that Shia LaBeouf is like the son in this and like at the time he was really big. So I remember like kind of being excited for that. But same year as Eagle Eye, uh, right? We talked about on the, the last pod. I think yeah, it it's the, like it's yeah. like really close. Yeah. Um, in a stride. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those movies where like you know it because so many people hate on it. And so I feel like even if you haven't seen it, you kind of know. A little too much about it, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't re- have a specific moment of like this is the first time I've watched it, but I do think this is like the first time I've rewatched it uh, since since I saw it the first time. Yeah, I this was definitely one that was on heavy rotation in the DVD player for sure. I remember seeing this when me and my dad went to see this because he liked Indiana Jones a lot, so it was kind of a f- ushering a new generation, which I feel like a lot of these you know sequel or legacy sequels are trying to get the next generation in to, to, to earn the money and respect. Um, so I do remember that I definitely watched it a ton and I definitely had a fondness to it, uh, at the time and not to spoil it, but so I'll ask you boys first, what were your thoughts before the rewatch of the movie? Like, did you think that it was going to hold up or were you expecting to be disappointed or what were your thoughts prior to the rewatch? Cause you two both got on the phone and, and rewatch this together, right? Yeah, I think for me, I wasn't expecting me to be so forgiving to certain parts of it because like, I don't know, like I think we have a different lens now to seeing Dial of Destiny and kind of seeing how they handle another bad attempt to like rehash this stuff out. And, you know, you can compare and see like where some parts, I it made me appreciate Dial of Destiny a little bit more to be honest because I do think mm-hmm. this is the worst one out of those. But like, I don't know, I, I think I'm more forgiving to the tropes and like the styles of the pulpy action adventure. Um, but yeah, there's some moments that are just like too unforgivable, but do you I agree was, with that? I was the opposite. Yeah, I was the opposite. I was expecting to be forgiving because <laughs> I love the pulp. I love the like swashbuckling. Like I don't, I don't think that every movie has to be citizen Kane or the Godfather or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I really enjoyed dial of destiny for that reason. I was like, like this doesn't have to be amazing. It can just be fun. And, a popcorn movie. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of going into it with that lens of like, 
like let this just be a, a movie made for 12 year olds that adults like to um and yeah it was worse than i remembered um <laughs> so yeah there there are yeah especially in the third act there were moments where it was just like oh my god like who there's so much talent behind this yeah like like people who were in the hall of fame martin rushmore of filmmaking put their brains together for this and they decided on um, some really strong choices that look bad then and they look even worse now yeah it's it's so crazy to think about you know like Lucas and Spielberg come together to like kind of bring this back together. And I, I mentioned like David Kep is attached to the screenplay who wrote like Jurassic Park and Mission Impossible. So like all the pieces are there. And I just think, I don't know. It's like you try to get Spielberg's like the classic popcorn fun adventurous nature. And then you mix it with like the sci-fi elements of Lucas and it, I don't know. It just feels like the two never meld together in a cohesive way. Um, But despite it, I kind of came on, I think I fell more on the side of Jackson where I could appreciate the kind of throwback nature to the pulp and like the swashbuckling adventure and kind of the set pieces. But I will agree that the pulp does reach a point where it just becomes really silly. I think Um, you have all these tropes, like you have, the 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 side character who all he's in it only for the money the ray winstone character which is just like mm-hmm. really bad and like i don't really know what's going on there kate blanchett is this like really over the top russian stereotype villain which is it's quite something not I as fun not as fun as the nazis i gotta say i feel like they they switch no. back to the nazi for the that's um, a fake it's I'm more gonna, fun I'm it's more fun that. punching nazis yeah. i just gotta say I'm pulling the soundbite. Not as fun as the Nazis oh, from Jackson. I just don't, I don't <laughs> feel like the story is that bad. Like that's what I was talking to Jackson yeah. on the phone. I was like, there's pieces here. That's actually really intriguing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I like how I like even the nod when, after he gets the chemical bath of like, and he gets, he's being interrogated and he's like, yeah, they pulled me in. I've seen this before. Like there's like, like I like the idea that he was involved in the government and like seeing aliens, but he, he's kind of like skeptical about it, which uh, sidebar, he has no reason to be skeptical about anything after the things <laughs> he seen some through. shit. So I thought, yeah. Right. So I thought it was he's seen a four hundred year old man give his father like the the chalice of youth or whatever it was. Right. The like Holy I, Grail, Jack. Holy really Grail, that's what it is. The Ark of the Covenant melt faces. Yeah. Like I, I just I don't I thought it was kind of weirdly put that he would be the the skeptic out of the the cast of characters, but whatever. I, I I don't know. I was sitting there being like, this is, I'm buying into this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you just get those moments like with the, the monkey swinging or falling off of five waterfalls and then re- remaining in the car every time that you're just like, Ugh. the shots of them, like crawling back in. Some of them are like on the front of the hood and like, mm-hmm. they all fall out. They, they should be dead. Like they should mm-hmm. be dead on the third drop, but it's right. I mean, Indiana Jones should have died like a hundred times in this movie. The iconic fridge thing getting in for the nuclear blast, which I think it's a cool, like it's a cool set piece. Like it's a good idea, but like uh, where the narrative thread goes, just like inexcusable how he just is bouncing around in that fridge. And yeah, like I was, this is what me and Jeff were kind of talking about whenever we were watching it. Like I can excuse like, oh, hide in it to like block out radiation. Maybe you get blown like 20, 30 feet away 
to where someone can come pick you up. But like he gets like shot like a hundred yards and like tumbles multiple times. Like if the blast didn't kill him, which it should have, but mm-hmm. if it didn't, he definitely died from like just like getting crumpled inside of that refrigerator. But yeah, like and I'm like I'm kind of on like I enjoy the the time period. Like they introduced some new cool element. Like I love when they're in the bar and like the greasers and like the Johnny football guys getting into a fight. I thought that was kind of cheesy and poppy and like kind of a American graffiti throwback to in a sense for, for Lucas. But I, I think there's some, there are some cool things in here. Like I really enjoy how they introduce characters, like the introduction of Indy within the shadow, putting the hat on is really cool. Mm-hmm. I even like how Mutt like comes out of the smoke on his motorcycle, like cool character introductions. But then, yeah. What did you think? What did you think like about Shia LaBeouf in this? So I like the idea of a son storyline. Like I, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. It is so ridiculous. One that it's Shia LaBeouf. Cause like, just like, that's not who you think to cast for like a young Harrison Ford junior, like type of. No, you think role. Chris Pratt, of course. I mean, at the time people were like, Oh, he should do Indiana. I, that was like legitimate discourse at one point. Definitely. Um, was. Yeah. Um, But like, I don't know, like, Shia LaBeouf was obviously, like, huge at the moment. So, like, I get why he was picked, just because he's led so many franchises. And I think people were wondering, like, and, you know, they have, like, the great fake-out moment where he's picking up the hat at the wedding. And he's, like, going to put it on, and the music's coming up, and he just, like, takes the hat and and runs off with it, um, taking it away from Shia. And I I think that was pretty pretty fun. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think it was, like, handled the best way. I think he Shia's so the Shia for my recollection over the years and just kind of the discourse around the movie I've kind of had it ingrained in me that he was like the jar jar of this movie like <laughs> he, he was the misstep that that made it what it is and I don't agree with that after a rewatch like I, mm-hmm. I he's a little um abrasive when you are kind of first getting to know him mm-hmm. um but he he totally kind of finds his footing and becomes more tolerable as it goes on. Um, I think he's good in it. Like, especially in the scene in the prison, like he has one moment where he's kind of staring at the wall and kind of tearing up as he realizes his mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there there are moments where I'm like, okay, you, you, you're showing off your chops a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I wish he wasn't his son. I don't know what that was necessary. And like the reveal of it was kind of stupid. Um, Like in the quicksand where Miriam just kind of shouts it out. And then there's like the bit about going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think if he was just like a, maybe even a student of his, although I don't want to go the Incredibles vibe. Like he's like the fanboy, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I felt like it felt like classic George Lucas. The alien has to be Greedo. Um, he has like, like I have to be siblings because I can't write my way out of a love triangle. Like, I don't know. It felt I didn't I didn't think it needed it, but I didn't hate Shy at all. I thought he was good in it, and the character was good enough, I think, to have got been in the fifth one. Um, I didn't think he needed to be killed off. Yeah, or anything I was like. gonna say that is kind of an interesting moment that like their reaction to what went wrong with this movie seems to be oh we just got to kill off the son character, get rid of those like issues, right? Like I don't know, like because like they break up their the spouse again, like where he gets remarried, they like undo that by this time it comes yeah. around. And I don't know. I think the issues with dial of destiny was like the weird time travel stuff not being handled properly also. So like, I don't know. I don't think they learned from this 
enough. Yeah, I just I, I'm imagining the same movie, but with Shia instead of Phoebe Waller Bridge, and it feels just as good. Yeah, uh, she brings her own flavor. Yeah, like she's just what she's his goddaughter, right? In the right, the, yeah, yeah. So it's essentially, you know, kind of the same vibe. I think what you're describing in Dial of Destiny is and Crystal Skull is just like I don't really have a problem. I'm not offended by the movie in in any regard, other than like the third act just does not land in both Dial mm-hmm. of Destiny and mm-hmm. Crystal Skull. Like I don't know when I think and. Davey and I kind of talked about this on when we did an Indiana Jones episode when Dial of Destiny came out. But I think the thing that's cool about Indiana Jones is all of his like adventures in the first three films like have to do with like the occult and like they're almost like fabulistic. And like so there's some like some skepticism and like fun about that. But then when you get into like the sci-fi nature of everything, like never in a million years would I have thought that Indiana Jones would time travel. Like that was not on my bucket list. Nor did I ever think he would interact with aliens. But yeah, that whole final third act is a little rough. But can I give you guys maybe a hot take? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I kind of, other than the monkey swinging from the vines, that that's that's silly as hell. So dumb. He beat the car. He swung faster yeah. through the vines than the car driving below. So other than that. And, and the monkeys magically adopt him as their kin, but then when it comes to the bad guys, they great. attack him. Yeah. They, so, they have sorry, sense. Other than that, I think that jungle like chase sequence is actually like really entertaining. I was like, I was like, this is kind of fun. I enjoy like them fencing in between the cars. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I enjoy the cheap, you know, getting hit in the nutsack, but by all the branches stuff when he's in between cars, I was like, this is fine. I enjoy this. Um, even when they're like on the edge of the cliff and run, like I, I thought all of that was really cool. And I got to say that the ant fight sequence is still like really absurd, but really kind of fun. Haunting. I thought that, yeah. yeah and like, Ants are dope. that is like seared in my brain from this movie. Like the ants crawling into the Russian guy's mouth and taking him into the ant hill is, is some disturbing. So shit. disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Um, um okay. go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it is crazy how like, the big like in like oh this is an indiana jones movie is where you get like a gruesome death and it wasn't really first of all i don't think the kate blanchett death was very interesting like her eyes caught on fire and then she just kind of like she knew too much snapped yeah out of she, existence yeah um but like the the indiana jones ants like crawling in and doing all that crazy shit i thought that was like the peak death of the, the whole movie i thought that was one of the best parts yeah and even the way that like again i think maybe the worst part of this movie for me is just ray winstone's character the double agent to triple agent to just like who cares that was just an it's an it's, awful wrinkle it's just yeah i feel like sure. indiana jones's like party can't be bigger than like three people otherwise it gets really yeah. cluttered and it was it yeah. was definitely exceeding yeah, i didn't enjoy miriam's reintroduction either um I didn't think she added, I mean, other than tying in the fact that Mutt is his son and him needing a love interest. And she is age appropriate, to be fair, because like for the time and people behind that movie, they very well could have gone non-age appropriate. But they like, um, I don't know. I thought she was not good in it and she didn't add any kind of interesting dynamic to the group other than he got a couple one liners about how he's still in love with her. I don't know. Yeah. I did enjoy kind of John Hurt's character. I enjoyed him as kind of the MacGuffin in the group. I thought he was kind of fun, but mm. but yeah, I I don't know. I think overall that like 
knowledge was their treasure is just that's bullshit. That's that's terrible. <laughs> I, I I hated the that. friends they made along the way. Yeah, it literally is like it's it's awful. But but I think I've just fully come around to this being just a it's a fine movie. I, I fully came around to like I was entertained. I there's some really silly shit in there. Like oh, it's only attracted to metal in certain situations. These crystal skulls, mm-hmm. like only when magnets are always super inconsistent in movies. It's <laughs> so it's hilarious. Like. That whole that whole opening sequence is really silly. Like throwing the yeah. gunpowder in the air and it just like floats there and then goes like, yeah, there's some really silly stuff in it. Um, I do want to shout out that a uh, graveyard fight where like Indy blows on the blow dart to blow it back into the guy's throat. I thought that was hype. like super classic Indiana Jones. Oh, that is great. That whole graveyard sequence is like that's it's really good. That's Indiana Jones. Like that's going mm-hmm. into the like the temple or the cave and all that and discovering the artifact coming out and being kidnapped that's that's Mm -hmm. that's peak indiana jones so and i do think i i will say that i do think this is and this is an indiana jones movie you know what i mean like i don't i don't think that this ruins the franchise or is a horrible movie i think i'm kind of in your boat carter of like like i i do think that the meat is there i think the flavoring is a little off like totally a, a little silly sometimes and kind of keeps it from being really good but yeah, I don't. I think the story that they told is is worth telling. Um, and I w- I was bought into it. I in terms of the story though, like the the one thing I had and Dial of Destiny suffered this too. It felt like really easy to solve. Yeah, like I, you yeah. know what I mean. Like there was really no roadblock. Like he's like, and and he kind of mentions that he's been thinking about this one since college and stuff. But then he like solves <laughs> it in a day and a half. It's, yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, I you kind of want some red herrings and some dead ends and some maze running. Um, I don't know. Sorry. What were you going to say, Jackson? The, the movie, well, just going off of that, the movie's so stuffed, it doesn't really leave any room for that stuff. Cause it's already like two hours and like 20 minutes or close to, or something like that. Um, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty full. Um, but, yeah, but, Oh, but- I was going to say, I do think that it's a weird missed opportunity that they didn't have it set in Egypt and do like just the Egyptian pyramids built by aliens and like kind of do all that route. Cause that seems way more in theme kind of with like with what they've done already. And, and as opposed to El Dorado, the, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah, I guess it's as cool, I guess, but it it just feels like an easier, like it was right there. Why didn't you just do that? But I, I feel like that was a conscious choice to like, oh, we did one of these movies in the desert. We need to go to a jungle. Sure. Like, I think that's maybe a little. But they did jungle but... with Temple of Doom, too. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. There's um, I mean, kind of. I mean, they're not really in the jungle. They're just kind of in this palace the whole time. Kind of. I don't know. There's a rope bridge. There is a rope, on bridge. a rope bridge. Great set piece, by the way. I think there are some good set pieces in here. I, I enjoy kind of the college motorcycle chase. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. Dr- driving into Marcus Brody's statue and the head falling off. That was rough to see. Um, but yeah. And then it's such a silly like end to that scene is when they slide into the library and the guy's like, oh, Dr. Jones, I have a question about this paper and stuff. And like, he answers oh. it. I was like, okay, that's that's really silly. That's one of those where like it went a little bit too far. Like, oh, I just, liked that. You wouldn't be like, what the hell? You're on a motorcycle. What's going on? Like, that was a little silly for me. Like, some of the pulp worked and some didn't. But what can you say? Yeah. Um, there anything else that like stuck out to you that you want to shout out before we hop over to another George Lucas joint? Beautiful. I'm good. 
Amazing. Well, let's hop over to Phantom Menace, which we all got on the phone last night and did a group mm-hmm. watch with. And I had a hoot. Uh, yep. Um, Jeff was uh, Jeff and I were just kind of trying to like, I think trying to sell you on this movie, uh, Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> name name two things that happened, Jackson. <laughs> uh, it can't be popular. They raised. Oh. oh. <laughs> um. That's a great question. I do want to start out with this and just say that this movie is like kind of supposed to be geared towards kids, but also like I think the opening crawl is the most boring and incomprehensible thing I've read in a Star Wars uh, opening. Like I don't care about the trades. I don't care about the trade routes. I guess the Empire just just existed out of nowhere then. Yeah. Somehow Palpatine returned, Jeff. Somehow Palpatine <laughs> oh, returned. No. We will not quote Rise no. of Skywalker here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I I do agree it has a little bit of an identity issue. And it is a movie that I loved as a kid, but I appreciate more as an adult understanding like the actual plot of it outside of the cool spectacle. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe that makes it the perfect blend, Jackson. Maybe it's, it's the I, I will say, for the kids, but then the plot for the adults. I will say I enjoyed it more watching it with you guys. One, because my questions immediately got answered or ridiculed, mostly ridiculed. <laughs> um, and, and it was just, I don't know. Whenever you have someone telling you something's good, it's just a little bit better, um, usually. But hmm. says you're like half star review, you cuck. <laughs> Hey, that's I promise it's better than what it was uh before. That's so, because of us. I guess it's probably, yeah, probably well, primarily. I, that's it. Like, yeah, I mean, can I ask you, like, so Jeff and I watched this like for informative years of our childhood. This was the first Star Wars movie I ever watched as a kid. When did you watch it, Jackson? Like, did you watch it later in life? Because I think that if you don't watch Star Wars when you're a kid, I think you it's hard to it's hard to come in in the back door. It's so tough because I was, in a sense, raised on Star Wars. My dad was a huge Star Wars guy. He had all the movies. I'm pretty sure I saw episode three in theaters with him when it came out. Nice. I don't think I'm like nearly as attached to the prequels as much as people our age, like you guys. I'm not too too into Star Wars. Like it is not my like niche interest, despite it being such a like formative part of my childhood. Mm. Like, I don't know, like the comic book movies just really got like a, a, a stronger grip on me than than the Star Wars stuff did. So like I'm not nearly as attached or forgiving to the to the prequels. Okay. Um but yeah I definitely enjoyed it more this time. But yeah, I haven't I was I was not sold on it. Yeah, I just I, I think there's something and Jeff you probably agree with me and I can I'll throw to you that just some things have a stronger nostalgic hold on you than others. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say like I go to bat or defend in a heavy way, the movies like I'm, I'm more than happy to like shit on it with people and just to be part of the conversation. But like deep down, I'm like, this, I still kind of like this a lot. And it's hard to like, <laughs> it's just hard to erase those things from your memory, even despite the age. And I think Jeff hit the nail on the head and just saying that like, when you get older, you kind of appreciate the prequels a little more. And I think that's what we're finding with our generation. Um, would you, would you agree, Jeff, that, with that it's kind of we're getting a better appreciation of it maybe as we get a little older oh yeah no i think star wars i i i i 
I can't agree more with what Carter said about it. it's hard. If you don't get on the Star Wars train when you're five, it kind of misses you. Yeah. Anybody I've tried to introduce it, whether that be, um, yeah, whoever in my life, girl, girlfriend, wife, um, friend, like it, that just, it doesn't, unless you're getting the magic of it, like you're at Disney World and it just kind of is in the air when you're kids, you. Yeah. Right. Partly it's probably a daddy issue thing to an extent, right? You just <laughs> want to connect with your dad so bad. Um, it like, it, it isn't easy to connect with. Um, and I, because of that, I think ever your entry point when you're a kid is what, what you kind of hang on to throughout your life. Like I have nephews now who are obsessed with the Mandalorian and, and the sequels. And those are their favorite. Mm-hmm. My dad's obviously partial to the OG trilogy. Um, and I, I, of the three, I genuinely like the prequels the best. Um, I, I started episode two after it just cause I was, I couldn't get off my brain. And that one, I think in particular, I was feeling the pull not to go on a total sidetrack, but just asserting the point that it's the nostalgic of it. Like mm-hmm. that's the first one I remember seeing and going to the theater and being excited about, Oh, in the trailer, Yoda has a lightsaber, like, and everybody getting hype about that. Like oh, the yeah. score of that one, just like it, it that I, it's such a cliche these days. Cause there's all of these remakes and all these actors doing like little standalone teasers about it's practical effects. And we're getting back to how it was in 83. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's like, we're so inundated in it now, but like it genuinely did bring me back to eating popcorn with my dad on our ugly green couch when I was five years old. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm happy that our generation of fans is now the primary consumer of content like this because you can see Amit Best come back in The Mandalorian. You can see Jake Lloyd is schizophrenic and um, out of the public life, but partly because of the asshole fans when he was a kid. But Definitely. Hayden Christensen's obviously the hallmark example of being back in the fold. Totally. Uh, so it's it's just really it's the renaissance of it is just so edifying. So sorry for that total. No, that was well said. Current, um, brain dump, but I love it. I think what I, I'm going to take something you said to kind of as an entry point into episode one because the practicality uh, point that you made. We talked about it last night on the phone that of the prequels, this is the one that feels the most. Um, at home with the original trilogy in the way that like the feeling of the production design and the sets like yes there's green screen and blue screens there but you still get the vibe of the old timey like production designs and, and and everything in that way so i think there's kind of a that immediately creates the nostalgic feel i think even if at times things don't hold up as well as we thought they did i thought coruscant looked quite Four in episode one, not as cool as I remembered it being in later um, sequels. But I think that was at least a that in the score, which absolutely rips. Um, Scores great, yeah. The um, it really holds up well. But but yeah, Jackson, what did you enjoy on this on this new viewing with with your with your buds? Um, well, I guess also I want to preface with I feel like I can relate to how you guys view this too. Because like I have, I love comics a lot, and I like Spider Man, and I like Superman, and and whenever I even get like a bad version of that, I can still be like, okay, well, I can take away the good parts and just kind of like push the other stuff aside because it's it's good and fun, and like these little moments are enough to justify like the slot fest that we get sometimes. So like, yeah, even even when it's bad, like it's gonna be good to some degree just because you have such an affinity for it and like you care and and love so much of it. 
Um, I will say, uh, going into seeing all the other sequels and how they kind of remade a lot of the originals, because maybe it was a, a knee-jerk reaction to how the prequels were originally perceived and and they just wanted to get back to like the home core story. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that this isn't just like a rip of the original trilogy and like they're trying to do something very different from what they were doing before. Totally. Um, which is kind of sad that like that's like, oh, thank God they just didn't do the same thing. Because I guess like at that point, like that wasn't like a huge issue going on in movies where like we still had ideas. We still had original ideas. Yeah, like, like there was yeah. there was something. Yeah. Um, I will say it is kind of a bummer that like the the next like star wars trilogy is still like the skywalker family and kind of expanding on that lore mm-hmm. i would have rather you know branched out and done something like completely different but i i get why why they wanted to do that and it is just such a bold risk to take the most uh iconic villain maybe of all time uh of darth vader and just mm-hmm. be like all right we're gonna show him as an eight-year-old child for the whole movie and like that's kind of gonna be the entry point to these prequels i think that's a huge risk and i respect it I don't know if it like really paid off and especially weird because like they do the big time jump anyways. So it's mm. kind of interesting to see like this big leap. Um, but yeah, I, I respect it for what it did, um, especially compared to how people do these sequels and prequels now. You make a good point I, about the just the um, the the lack of the Skywalker ness of this first one, mm-hmm. at least because I think two and three definitely lean hard into the Skywalker of it all. Sure. But at least for episode one, like you get to spend time with like Qui-Gon Jinn and and, and Obi-Wan Kenobi and yeah. for better or worse, Jar Jar Binks. Like you get to experience some new stuff for sure. And and yeah, I could toss to you, Jeff. I, I interrupted you there. Oh, sorry. No, I'm I'm gonna probably do that a couple more times. But I think like I I, I think for Jackson, like what I was kind of hoping for and because Star Wars is like kind of a you're on it or you're not. Um, I think I was hoping because you are such a film lover and you obviously been to film school and you, you have a deep appreciation for the craft. Um, I think that this holds up from a, from a technique perspective. I don't know like what I'm trying to say there um, verbiage wise, but like the sound design is excellent. The special effects 90% of the time really hold up even 25 years later. There's some, <laughs> some parts that they clearly didn't focus on as much, but yeah. uh, production design is terrific. The costume design is great. The music is, is masterclass. Um, the music is maybe one of the strongest elements of this whole movie in like a great yeah. way. Like I think it's really, really good. It, yeah. it, it has all like all of the ingredients are it's Wagyu beef with organic homegrown asparagus and potatoes <laughs> that were peeled by your mom. You know what I mean? Like, like it should be the best meal you've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was just, it's like, um jake lloyd and jar jar poured ketchup all over it at the very end (laughs) yeah Um, there's just like a general lack of excitement for most of the movie it's very talky at times which mm -hmm. i which i mean i think jeff pointed it out when we were watching it they're like when i was a kid i just remember just the pod racing and darth maul and that's like the two things you take away like oh this is cool this movie rips there's a lot of talking to jackson's point about trade negotiations and bureaucracy and bad actors in the political space, like a bunch of stuff that probably yeah. went over our heads as a kid that we just like tuned out and we're like, this is filler to get to the action set pieces. So in that regard, I can definitely see how it's maybe a little 
I don't want to say boring because it's certainly not boring, but to a kid, it's probably like, who cares? Get me to the lightsaber fights. Well, even for like the metaphors of like politics in Star Wars, I feel like for that standard, it is pretty like uninteresting. Like with with like the Empire being like the United States during the Vietnam War, it's like, okay, now that's like a statement. That's pretty interesting. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then like kind of just like using it as a critique of capitalism and and imperialism and all, and all that stuff and then it's like we get to the prequels and it's like okay so we have like the senate and they kind of disagree and there's lobbyists and it's like okay like yes like that is like accurate and like like that's how that stuff tends to be but like i don't know i feel like the allegories are so much more strong and, and interesting and gripping and like in this time around it's just really not that i think people make the mistake of being like, oh, why did they make Star Wars political when Star Wars was always political? Mm -hmm. Like, it, and it's it, not, and that's not the issue. It's just that yeah, the, the yeah. political allegory is so boring this time around that it, it, I don't know. It just, it's just not as not as gripping for me personally. It's just, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I, you take the wheel. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I I think maybe I I I I keep I made this comment last night too. It's almost I wonder if it's an expectations game, like you were expecting it to be the OG trilogy in terms of spectacle. And then it just wasn't because I do think that the allegory holds up in terms of like the frustration that Amidala feels of her totally. people are literally on the, on the brink of genocide and her planets being taken over and nobody gives a fuck because of all the political red tape like that, that shit happens just is feels just as real in today's political discourse i was gonna say if anything it's like I, more interesting now in today's political right. climate um than it right, was like, I, when it came out so I, I do i do think the allegory is interesting and accurate just as much as the empire was back then mm -hmm. um so i guess that's i i'm i know how jackson feels about it i guess i'm asking carter here like as an adult watching it and paying attention to every line and tracking with the story and, and cutting us knowing what that it's not going to be um, as exciting as an episode five. Do you find the story interesting at all? Or do, or do you wish they had gone a different way? I, I have a better appreciation of the story now as an adult. The only, the only time I kind of quibble with it is like, they, it's almost as if like, when they play it straight, it's really interesting and compelling. And then when Jar Jar trips over his own shit, then it gets like lost in the wheeze a little bit. Like, it's almost like you want it to like, it's like, do you want, do you want like the, you know, like the, the, uh, the taunt, what's the word, the Pratt falls and everything in there with, with your, you know, with your political drama or would it be better if like, I mean, maybe we all agree that, if Jar Jar wasn't even in it, maybe it would be better. But I mean, Jar Jar yeah. is such a linchpin in this prequel trilogy, maybe more the so than people remember. Um, he kind of creates the Empire single-handedly. Darth Jar Jar theorists <laughs> come at me in the comments. But um, yeah, Which I, I will say also, I feel like that undermines the allegory that you're trying to go with because it's like intentional like steps towards fascism in this story. And then like by the end of the trilogy, like it, it can only really happen because I think Jeff pointed out because they walked into Jar Jar Binks randomly in the forest and like he was able to grant this like power, unchecked power, like down the line too. like, I don't know. Well, like, you see you see pivot points in Palpatine's plan throughout mm -hmm. the movies, sure. like a, 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 episode two. I mean, he wants Amidala dead through most of it. 
Um, even the, very, the opening sequence in, in episode two is an assassination attempt. So like, mm-hmm. like yeah, you see one of Pivot- the dumbest assassination attempts of anything I think I've ever seen. It gets outsourced to like six different people, right? Yeah, Jen- I think it's yeah. Alpatine hired Dooku who, who hired Jango. Who hired Jango. Who hired Sam? Who hired a robot? Who hired worms? A worm. <laughs> Insane. It's great. It's awesome. <laughs> Political intrigue, but, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you do see the the heroes kind of play gumshoe to an extent, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, he he ultimately pivots and uses the puppet that Jar Jar turns into. I I didn't mind Jar Jar as a kid. I have more beef with him now. I don't I don't know, Carter. How did you feel as a kid? Did you were you annoyed with him? I feel like I was pretty indifferent towards him as a kid. I feel like I watched the movie and like did the voice and that was kind of, you know, all that I kind of gained from him. I, I mean, as an adult, I think he's like pretty useless and he's just literally just there for comedic relief because they don't have a, a C3PO in the frame the whole time who kind of provides that in the original trilogy, I would say. Um, but I mean to to call to compare Jar Jar to three PO is a little sacrilegious, so I apologize to Anthony Daniels. But <laughs> um, like you get a little bit of Anthony Daniels in here, but I don't know. I just prefer I prefer my um, my humor to be a bit intelligent. I think in the original trilogy, the the quips and the one liners are are a lot better, like from Han Solo or Lando or anything, than just you know fart jokes. P. Yusa. So. Yeah, I don't think I was probably pretty indifferent to him because I think really what we're touching on, I think we can maybe this is a really strong point of the movie is the thing I really remembered and still am attached to is Darth Maul because that character is so there's not a lot at the time when I first saw it, not a lot of backstory to this character. Don't know a ton about him. He's in and he's out. He's this. Is he the titular Phantom Menace or can we or is it that just the Sith in general? I think it's Palpatine. Palpatine in general. But um but yeah, I really enjoyed the Darth Maul of it all. Like that reveal when you're a kid of the double lightsaber coming out and the the duel of so fights hype. is like all that is so cool because we've never seen a double bladed lightsaber before. So that was really neat. Um so yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway as a kid and the thing that still I think is really cool because also the fight choreography has come a long way. And we kind of talked about the differences of that last night between the original trilogy and and this where it feels more choreographed and like a, like a dance and the other, the original trilogy is more just like, like just like smacking at each other and watching the dust fall off of the, the lightsabers in, in episode four. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of things have held up and a lot haven't, but overall I think that I'm still very intrigued by the story. And I think that this is just like the building block to two and three and like three is like unapologetically like one of my favorite movies like with a period like i love revenge of the sith and i think it's a great encapsulation of of this story that starts here but yeah that's all (laughs) yeah i think i think darth maul like i would be curious like I want. I almost want to experience Darth Maul from a perspective of never having seen the movie before. Like, if I have never seen it before up until being twenty five years old, hmm. but I think he was cool at all because he has nothing to him other than he's good at stunts. <laughs> yeah, like, Ray, Ray Park. He yeah. has like he's just like three things. Um, like as a kid, obviously, um, you'd give your left nut to 
be even a fraction as cool as him. Of course. But like, um, but yeah, like I wonder, like if I was like, looking at it through a critical lens as an adult, if I would think he was even worth having in the movie. Um, mm. Yeah. But, or just having him in there more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Jackson, Darth Maul over Jack. Yeah. I stand. I like Darth Maul. Uh, yeah. Especially that I learned because he shows up in like some other contexts, right? And he has like robot spider legs. That's cool. Yeah. Clone Wars really does a good number on him. He has a really cool arc with him and mm-hmm. his uh, his brother. Spoiler alerts. But yeah, he's got some cool stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like you could definitely do more with this character. Like, um, I don't know. Like, maybe he doesn't. He d- he definitely doesn't interact with like the main cast enough. It would have been kind of cool if he showed up at like the pod racing and like interrupted that or something. That'd be kind of cool. Slice the speeder up. in half. Looks like a trained assassin with a lightsaber has showed up on the field. <laughs> Might as well. They wouldn't change any of the rules. They already have the snipers just showing up, and like they're cool with that. So I don't think yeah. that'd be any different. Um, I do want to shout out the pod racing. I think it is legitimately. Uh, really great direction. I think the camera shots that they choose and like the CGI is amazing and all of the budget seems to be going towards, you know, this one sequence that is like essentially flawless, uh, easily the best part of this whole movie. You know, what's amazing about that too is where to pick and choose where to put John Williams score in. Cause there's a lot of the time mm-hmm. where it's just the sound design of the pods and uh, the track and just everything going on there. I don't think the score kicks in until like the third third lap of the race or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just really great. Again, talk, going back to Jeff's points, like the the technical feats of this movie are, are pretty impressive given the, the time period. And again, it's 1999. So a lot of stuff, so there's some stuff that doesn't hold up. Like there's some rough Jar Jar scenes where it doesn't look good, but for yeah, the most part, that was, was kind fun. of fun that I really enjoyed like talking about VFX, like we'd be like, Oh, this one shot of Watto from the back looks awesome. And then he'd cut to his front. We're like, Oh, never mind, never mind." But then this one's back. And it's like, no, that, that does look pretty good. Like it almost looks like, I would say sometimes it looks so good that it almost looks practical. Mm-hmm. And then like they switch it and it's like, no, that's like really early CGI. Like, and it feels, it, it feels it, like it. I could be super wrong about this, but isn't Jar Jar like the first fully mocap character featured with that much screen time? Um, like innovation at some extent, I think. Yeah, because I I always remember seeing the behind the scenes photos or images of like Ahmed like, Best. And, yeah, he has the head on and he's dressed in all of the 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 skin color and everything. So that could be that could be correct. I don't know if it was that or Lord of the Rings, but I feel like Jar Jar might have been the mm-hmm. first to do it. So this came before Lord yeah. of the Rings. So shout out Ahmed yeah. Best. Yeah, I was just gonna say like we haven't even another the. The Shia LaBeouf of this movie, obviously, is Jake Lloyd. Um, Tough. I just don't think, it, and I, I know we talked about this last night, but for the pod listeners, like, fuck anybody who gave him a hard time. He's he, a kid, he yeah. That bad. Like, even, yeah. like, let's just assume that we're going to judge him like an adult. His performance was was not that bad. I thought he, you kind of had some moments of unhinged. He had some cute moments of sincerity. I watched the first 50 minutes of episode two. He does a lot better than Hayden Christensen does in two. He recovers <laughs> in three and I'm, I'm a Hayden Christensen guy. I'll die for him. Yeah. But Jake Lloyd like feels like a legitimate actor way more than Anakin does in two. And the fact that he was bullied out of acting and now has mental health struggles because 
for whatever reason, people felt so strongly about it is just so horrible because let's just say that that's an appropriate response to bad acting. He didn't deserve it. It's not that. And I think going off of that too, like the Jar Jar Binks actor, you know, he like almost committed suicide, right? Like he was on the verge of, of ending his life because of all the hate he got. And now he got to be like recanonized as like a, because I think there was like a Star Wars trivia show or something and he got to host it and they made him like a whole character in canon and he's like a Jedi master now and people really like him. So I think that's cool that he had like a cool little redemption there. Yeah, for better. Grogu. Oh yeah, he does. Oh yeah. Yeah, he saves Grogu from Order 66 canonically. That's yeah. awesome. Anyway. Sorry, Carter, go ahead. I was just going to say for better or worse, like Star Wars fans and we've talked about this, I'm sure on previous pods, but Star Wars fans can be the absolute worst. And I think that goes for any fandom. Like like if if a force gathers around one thing in particular they don't like and then they just bash it, then it's just really it becomes really toxic really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think it just takes away from the people that like the movie just cuz it's it's neat and fun. So yeah, um Jake Lloyd is not bad. The racial stereotypes that I'm just going to bring up here are are rough. Um they're they're pretty egregious. Yeah, just starting from like the the Newt Gunrays, uh, uh, the Trade Federation kind of being these Japanese stand-ins is is, is rough. Mm-hmm. Watto being kind of a Jewish stereotype. It's a lot of it's a lot of rough goes here for 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 the stereotypes in this movie, and that is definitely something that has not aged very well, and it's definitely not subtle either. So, yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything else that we haven't brought up about? phantom menace that needs to see the light of day Uh, yeah just one quick question i guess like about uh how do you feel about like the midichlorians being introduced into the lore and how did it reshape your view of the force does it do you wish it didn't exist you prefer it like what is what is your take on that i'll let jeff take this one because he had some good thoughts on it last night yeah i think i i think that they are an attempt to expand on what came before, which is what you want out of a sequel. Um, I think you want your sequels to to take what made it good and then try and make it bigger and better. Um, I think that the Metachlorians, as they exist in today's like canon, of being just a manifestation of the Force in one of the ways that it 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 becomes a physical interaction in our biology is kind of intriguing to an extent. Um, but I do think my overall feelings is I, I think, I think I'm head cannoning my way into being okay with it existing because I wish it didn't. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't want to know how Darth Vader poops. I don't want to know <laughs> what planet Yoda came from. I really what didn't even mean? want to know how Han Solo got his last name. You know I mean, like there's just some things that you just like, you, you don't kind of like the of it, right? Yeah. Um, How does Darth Vader poop? I'm curious. Um, uh, don't know, but I hope they know. Yeah. <laughs> right. A vacuum side, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think I was okay with how the Force was in the OG trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm more than okay with them expanding it, like in the new ones with different powers and so on, like the way Luke Force projects or Ray heals. Um, like I'm okay with the force being a living document within Star Wars, but to like try and explain it into a um into something like that is I pr- kind of a misstep. 
I think, and and not really, not really necessary other than they needed a vehicle to explain why Luke was special. Mm-hmm. Um, because why else would anybody take his word, Qui Gon's word, that this kid, this this kid who's way too old to ever be trained, goes way outside the infrastructure of the Jedi Order to the point that Yoda, despite believing he's the chosen one, doesn't even want to take on the project because it's just like, <laughs> it's such a lost cause. Um, so they needed a way for Qui-Gon to have a trump card. Uh, sure. like, That's fair. Like, no, this, this kid is who I say he is and and we need to do whatever it takes. So I don't know what else that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's but... just kind of an interesting comparison to like uh, Ryan Johnson's um, which is kind of more like, uh, you know, screw your legacy. Because I feel like the mid, I feel like the midichlorian is exactly the broom boy. I feel like the midichlorians kind of like enforces this like royal bloodline of Jedi and and like that sort of necessitate being necess- necessary for like the Force and how that stuff works. And like you know, it kind of reestablishes like the the our eyes on the Skywalker family, I guess. And I kind of do like more of the like religious approach to like between like you know you have. Um, like the the blind guy in Rogue One, who's like, I am one of the Force, and the Force was with me, and it was it was his like his, I don't know, I kind of read it more into like his devout faith to this idea and this like universe. I I just found it to be more compelling than like, oh yeah, actually, if you did a a blood test of him, he would have had enough midichlorians to be able to do that. Like I don't know, like I just don't like that stuff as much. Um, and I I, and I like the Ryan Johnson re reimagining of anyone can can be this you don't have to be somebody i i think it's a great point to tie back to even crystal skull where all of these things are compelling because they're based in you know just these ideas or this religious thought pattern so immediately as a fan or as an audience member watching that it leaves a little bit to the imagination always to kind of be like oh this is totally possible but then when you bring the science into it and like really make it practical you kind of lose the the sci-fi of magic. it all, like the magic of yeah. it all, really. And like, I think that's what Jeff and I are Last Jedi stands. Like, that's what kind of The Last Jedi attempts to do. And then mm-hmm. this new sequel trilogy, like, kind of goes back on it, reneges immediately. Yeah. So I, I get it. And I think even if you look in a, in a, just a capsule or a void of just watching Phantom Menace alone, I think they really are trying to just, if you didn't watch the rest of it or know how it canonizes or does anything, I think you were under the opinion of, oh, they've changed it completely. Like the midichlorians, it, it, it seems apparent that they're trying to like make the midichlorians be the the end all be all of why these force sensitive kids are force sensitive or what have you. But then I think it is expanded on and cleared up more when we get down to it. But if you're just looking at this movie in a vacuum, it does that, which is mm-hmm. which is a little rough. But I totally agree with you. I, the The magic gets lost if you think about it too hard. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree yeah i think yeah I, and i agree with your point about the the lineage jackson um because i think on one hand the thing i appreciate most about the prequels is that they are they're it it's george lucas trying to expand the universe like it yeah mm-hmm. i guess on one hand we do go back to tatooine and so he 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 kind of it it has this whole new visual language and it's all these things we haven't seen before and it is it's a totally new way to approach the story and the universe and like I do think that George Lucas was like 
F you, I'm going to tell my story the way I want to do it. And I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. Um, but he also finds these moments of like that aliens, definitely Greedo or yeah. I like, <laughs> yeah. Like um, Anakin definitely made C-3PO this one droid. That just, one is really annoying. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, super unnecessary, but and so I, I do think he has a tendency to make the universe smaller. And I think mm-hmm. the Metaclorians kind of play into that mm-hmm. of it turns it into kind of a bloodline thing. I just, again, I, I think they just needed a, and the Metaclorians have become a major part of the discourse. They're pretty much abandoned by episode two. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's really only two sequences where they're even discussed or brought up. And again, I think it's just, it, I think it's purely a vehicle for this kid's special and he's different. I do think that they could have played more into, because it is a religious, the force is a religion. And they even play into that to its extreme with the virgin birth of mm-hmm. Anakin is literally the force incarnate. Yeah. Um, and so that's I, and that's fine with me if you want to do that. I just don't need like the science justification also. Like if it's like... Right. Well, yeah, he was this virgin birth apparently, and you know he was this boy who's raised a slave, and yet he still has hope and faith and believes, and his spirit isn't broken. And we are the Jedi; we should take this boy in, otherwise he's going to be relegated into slavery again. I think that's just like enough justification for me to get on board with that. Like, I don't think it needs to, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that is enough. Well, that was my going to be my my point was like they they could have. They could have just because the whole virgin birth thing, which seems like a huge drop of news, <laughs> to just it's be just so like casual a couple about. sentences, and and Qui Gon doesn't blink an eye. <laughs> Plays it really like, cool, right? Like, and then they never revisit so much it. so that I to until this watching did not even like recognize that as part of the lore. Like that was right. not something I was familiar with, that and, and they don't Christ, retouch yeah. it until you get to episode three mm-hmm. during the opera scene where he's talking about how. Um, Plagueis could use you manipulate the force to create life like he kind of hints at it but even then that's two movies later in one mm-hmm. scene um, yeah I think they could have really harped in on that and just utilized more of the mystique around the fact that that's exist and then you could have skeptics of like I don't believe this and people who go no and like he performs miracles like that kind of like yeah. you could really hopped into the religious allegory without set, like having a Hey, uh, Jerry Springer, I need a paternity test. <laughs> Especially when, like, you have the character essentially have this big fall from grace and become, like, the Antichrist for, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, that's kind of an interesting thing, too, like, to yeah. to present him as this Jesus figure and then it's like, well, how did he go down this path Path also? I don't know. I, th- I do think that is kind of way more interesting, and I do wish that would have been more of... But they do do that in the, se- in the two sure. and three a lot more here's how this shadowy figure manipulates him. They have a lot of really intentional scenes with Palpatine of like, they're not respecting you. Like you're not living up to your potential. I mm-hmm. see your potential. Drop totally. yeah, I yeah. believe in you. Yeah. And and for somebody who's so easily manipulated, um, I think it does play well over mm-hmm. time. And then, I think but. all the mystique you need is like, they keep in the prequel trilogy. And I think they do in, in Phantom Menace. Like they allude to this quote prophecy all the time. And we don't know anything yeah. about this prophecy. Like, and I don't need to know. Like uh, that's all. The, I think that's the only MacGuffin that you really need is like, oh, this prophecy of a Skywalker or something. It, it can be as silly as that, and we don't need to know yeah. that. So, to your Metaclorian point, which I think we've we've just beat to death, and I think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that was a really really good conversation. Yeah. There's. I don't want to keep bringing up two because we're not talking about two. 
But there is a like a That's really down. cringy moment. There is a cringy moment where Samuel Jackson randomly Obi-Wan makes a comment like he's not ready for this assignment. And Samuel Jackson goes, remember, he is the he is the chosen one from the prophecy. And then the scene changes. Yes. Like they just so clearly wanted to remind the audience real <laughs> remember, quick. We brought this up. Remember this? Oh my God. Right. Like it's pretty jarring. I do have anyway. a, a quick final question if we unless we have other other thoughts we want to get through. Um Sure. What colored lightsaber do you want? I feel like this introduced. <laughs> did this introduce the purple lightsaber? Did we just see episode two introduces the purple lightsaber? Okay, so it doesn't introduce the purple yet. Yeah. But uh, do you guys have a preferred color if you had to have one? I was always a green man. I just enjoyed the. I was obsessed with Yoda's lightsaber when I was a kid. It was so cool. I, I wanted yeah. a green. I just wanted the little green lightsaber because I was little Jackson. So I wanted the. Yeah. I wanted a little green lightsaber. That's was always what I wanted. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? I was green too, but for Luke in episode six. Me too. Yeah. I like the green, the green saber the most also. The coolest handle, which Luke in episode six is basically the exact same prop, but Obi-Wan's in episode four is, is oh, like yeah. my favorite. Yoda's is cool too. But anyway. Hell yeah. <laughs> any final, movie. any final thoughts on Phantom Menace? No. Great Huge. movie. Amazing. We'll <laughs> see how. Right. We'll see how we feel about it when we we get into uh, our next segment here. Uh, let's move on to what's in the box. Oh, what's in the box? Um, before we rank them, let's get some uh, letterboxed reviews uh, out of the way. I'll start with uh, with you, Jackson. What, what you got? You got any reviews for either Crystal Skull or Phantom Menace? Yeah, I got two. Um, I'll start with one. This is a uh, this is a Phantom Menace one from Mike. Rosengrave, one star, he quotes, they went up the ventilation shaft. And then he goes on to say, Lucas pulled the script out of his own ventilation shaft, if you ask me, (laughs) and directed it with his head wedged firmly in that breezy passage. The whole damned lot, midi fucking chlorines and all, can be jammed back up there too. Um, Which was just so passionate that I had to share. I thought that was pretty pretty impressive. Visceral. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll throw to you, Jeff. Do you have any... Any Phantom Menace uh, reviews over there? Yeah, I have two. Um, the first one is a five-star hearted review that says, the Phantom Menace is so good, we don't have a bitch in your ear telling you it's not. <laughs> so true. Um, and then another one that's a five-star hearted review um, that says, I'll take 30 minutes of Boss Nash shaking spit out of his jowls, 20 minutes of Jar Jar saying, excuse me, Annie and Kits for saying yippee and wizard for 10 minutes and 50 farting animal gags just for that moment when Duel of the Fates begins and Darth Maul activates the second lightsaber blade. It is <laughs> it is so cool. Um yeah, that's awesome. Um I've got one Phantom Menace review. Um it's a one-star review from Kyle. Come on, Kyle. Uh almost unwatchable if not for you and McGregor. The CGI has aged terribly, unlike you and McGregor. Horrible racist stereotypes, just not Scottish Ewan McGregor. Everyone seems bored, including Ewan McGregor. I still want to fuck, you guessed it, Ewan McGregor. Amazing. (laughs) Glad you Um, found my review. Yeah. (laughs) Kyle on Letterboxd. Um, Do you guys have any Crystal Skull reviews? Uh, I just have one from Ao Edabiri, our queen, our star. Um, it says, I don't know why everyone is so mad about the nuclear fridge thing, because that happened to me when I went to Diplo's Mad Descent concert in 2015 and did Molly for the first time. Just amazing. I love, I love this app. I love Letterboxd. (laughs) Shout out Letterboxd. Uh, Shout out. Jeff, you got a a Crystal Skull review? 
Yeah, just one. Um, this is from today, from January 30th, 2024. And it says, Ooh. it's a three-star hard review. And it says, a fun moving and a satisfying end to the franchise. I'm so glad they decided not to make any more after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I only have one uh, from Josh Lewis, three stars. Uh, Spielberg's classes classicism versus Lucas retrofuturism, Dawn of Justice, a wild union of 30 <laughs> serials, 50s B movies, and the 2000s blockbuster, which I just think sums it up quite mm-hmm. nicely, everything that it's got going on. Um, so now it's time to rank them amongst our double feature features. Uh, we got Eagle Eye and Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters on the board so far. Let's start with Crystal Skull. What what feels right to you guys in terms of placement here amongst these two movies? I think in the middle. I think it's definitely better than Hansel and Gretel because that I think, thing just sucked. Yeah. You think it's you think Eagle Eye is better? Yes, I do. What do you think, Jeff? I put I'd put Crystal at the top. I enjoyed what? it. What? Yeah. I think I would too. I think it's two <laughs> verse. I think it's two verse one. Are you serious? <laughs> oh, fine. That's crazy. Listen, man, you brought two Lucas sympathists on the pod, and you expect us to. Anyway, uh, okay. Kingdom of the Ridiculous. Crystal Skull <laughs> is number one. Now, what do we feel about Phantom Menace? Number one. I mean, I think it's better than Crystal Skull, but I also don't think that's better than Eagle Eye. I love Eagle Eye. Mm. Uh, it's it's Phantom, Crystal, Eagle Eye, Phantom Riddle. <sighs> Man, I'm going to agree. All right. Damn it. <laughs> <That's fucking dope. laughs> Come on, baby. It's okay. <laughs> when, when we get down to... Uh, you know, when we get to flushed away and everything, I think I'm going to lose that battle to you guys. So mm, that's true. Unless I love it, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll love that movie. So it's good stuff. I think I it's it. hard to not like them. If, if there's one more that we watch as a group, I want it to be that one. Oh, it's okay. so much fun. Oh, man. Anyway, um, wonderful. So Phantom Menace, Crystal Skull, Eagle Eye, and Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters at this time. So we'll see when that changes as we move forward. Um, Let's finally move on to you feeling lucky. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? And I've got a little a little project for you guys to do here together. Oh, um, man. In honor of, you know, long-awaited sequels that either lived up to expectations or not, I want you to blind rank uh, one to ten long-awaited sequels. Okay. Ooh. Of mm. of of good variety, of of mediocre variety. You'll be the judge as you go along. Um to maybe give you a clue of to what's to come. Maybe I don't know if this will help you at all, but I'm gonna go from the largest gap between the the its predecessor and its new movie. So so to kind of make this make sense, the first one I've got for you, one through ten. First one I've got is Top Gun Maverick which was 36 mm-hmm. years between the original and its remake. So this is the oldest, the longest gap between movies. And I'll go down as we go. So okay. one through 10, where would you like to blind rank Top Gun Maverick between the two of you? Jeff, I feel like we should put this at at least three. At least I, think, three. I think Top Gun Maverick is so good. Like I, electric. I don't even like, I don't even like the first movie. I think I Top Gun Maverick is so, so good. I cried in the theater. I was so moved. Um, that was one of my favorite theater experiences of that year. So I'm going to put that at three if Jeff's cool with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah, it's it's for a legacy sequel. It's, a, it's ex- extremely solid. 
it's such a summer blockbuster moment too. Like that was just so, so fun. Okay. Top Gun Maverick at three. Uh, The next movie, uh, Blade Runner 2049 coming 35 years after the original. Fuck, we might have got ourselves into a hole. That's pretty good too. I think we, I think we got to go two just in case. Yeah, but let's it's start with Top Gun Maverick. It's close. I will say, like, it's like it's in there. Like, I think those are both like really, really solid. I, th- um, I think that depends on your your preference. Like, I'm sure. someone who enjoys a lot of like, obviously, film. It's noir, it's noir sci- like sci-fi, like totally. But, I but think it's yeah. not a summer blockbuster feel sure. good to eat with your mom on the Fourth of July and cry it out. Kind of no, about. I think <laughs> I think two is right. It, it, the effects, the visuals are like insanely, insanely good. Um, yeah. And it is just like a kind of like really intriguing story, even if you haven't seen the original, which I think is also like a good sign, like that you don't need to rely on that. So I'm. Cool we, with that. I don't. We we can't talk all these movies. Just a quick yes or no. Do we like Jared Leto? No. As a as an actor or a man, let's I think say as a let's say both. As a as a person, as a human, I think he's deplorable. Um, but as an actor, I, I'm always intrigued by what he does. I think his decisions are. Okay pretty heinous i think he times. has more misses than hits this when is you true. hear he's been yeah. cast in something does that make you more or less likely to want to see it less and now at least oh, probably less now like in like 2012 or 2013 like i probably would Dallas have like, Club era. Yeah, yeah like coming off of that i still think i was probably pretty intrigued when when he was announced that in blade runner i think like what was that 2017 mm-hmm. or something like that so like i was yeah. still kind of on board then maybe i'm probably less to indifferent about him now okay all right i just want i i it was making me think of it because of tron mm-hmm. um yeah. and how oh, that yeah. could have been killing me. um yeah. but anyway sorry go ahead carter man what a world we live in uh next... i thought you weren't thinking of blade runner 2049 when you were thinking of jared leto just thinking no. of tron and how he's in that <laughs> um okay oh, next wait, coming 30 sorry, years man. apart no you're fine um coming 30 years from the um from its Last movie in the trilogy, which you just watched, Jeff. Mad Max Fury Road. 30 years Ooh. I can't be number one. It can't be. I feel like four or five is like a release. I, I'm five. Mm. I'm f- going, I would go lower than higher. I, I yeah. Think five. I didn't love it. I gave it three and a half. I think it's really fun action, but. I'm just waiting for these to start being really bad. I know. Or these are good. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Do we go six? I could. I'm comfortable with six. If you want to make it six, let's do six. Okay. Okay. Mad Max Fury Road at six. Okay. Coming 28 years since its original. Speaking of Jared Leto, Tron Legacy. Like nine. I, I haven't okay. seen it. Jeff um, is perplexed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't seen this in a long time. Probably since within the 12 months of its release window. But I remember fucking with it really hard. I love Jeff Bridges. But is it going to be like good on this list? I liked it more than Fury. You did not like it more than Fury Fury Road is all spectacle. Uh, Yeah, and it's awesome. It is all spectacle. You know what? What's his face isn't even good in it. Whoa, what? (laughs) I forget his name. He couldn't even even give it the name. He said, (laughs) what's his face? (laughs) Anyway, I am excited for yours after seeing it, though. Um, I would go seven. Seven? Do you want to compromise at eight? Let's do eight. 
I think I still think that's too high, but okay. Tron Legacy at eight. Um, okay, coming 25 years after uh, its original Space Jam, a new legacy. 10. 10. Yeah, that movie blows. That yeah, feels yeah. right. I saw that in theaters. Good times. Um, the okay. Goon Squad. Bad. Wonderful. Okay, Space Jam, new legacy at number 10. Uh, no discussion needed. Okay. <laughs> Coming 19 years after uh, this next film and its kind of uh, lineage, Superman Returns. 19 years after the last oh Superman my God. movie. I've actually, I've actually never seen. I that have spot. so many opinions on this movie because it is kind of like supposed to be Christopher Reeve. You know, they had the Brandon Routh recast, who I think is really good. But like, and you, you know, you have the Kevin Spacey Lex kind of coming back for Gene Hackman, I think is, is that the, or no, what's his name? Um, Kevin Spacey. Carter, who's, no, but who's the original Lex in like the original? I think it is Gene, Gene Hackman. Hackman. Is yeah. it Gene Hackman? Okay. Yeah. So like you have him like kind of like doing that whole gimmick. It is besides a few set pieces, it is remarkably boring for a Superman movie and for just those movies. Um, I would feel comfortable putting it at like nine or seven. Yeah. Uh, honestly, probably nine because it is truly the most boring Superman movie I've seen. Tough, and okay. also he like doesn't end up with Lois. It's it's so stupid, and he like has a super son, but like Lois is like raising it as like I I don't even think like he let him know that he was his dad or something. It was so weird. I don't know. I'm I was not a fan of it. You're saying things I never Anyways. knew about that movie. I've seen that movie too, and I don't remember yeah. any of that. So that's awesome. Um, it's very strange um but a guy at the comic shop gave me a poster of that movie for free because he was really cool and we both like superman and then i watched it and i was like, he was, oh, probably, like yeah, this poster. he was probably in the process of throwing it away <laughs> probably <laughs> he's like you could take my garbage <laughs> okay wonderful superman uh returns is at number nine okay uh coming 15 years after uh it's it, after its recent installment in the franchise is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We're going to it's going to have to go 7, right? So here's what I think is left. I think we're going to see Force Awakens. Mm. And I would put I I don't know what else we're going to see, but I bet we see Force <laughs> Awakens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um which movie is? <laughs> oh, Dial of Destiny. Dial of Destiny. I would, yeah, I would go five. I I really liked it more than Mad Max. That's that's okay. It's a blind ranking, Jax. You're right. You're right. Fine. Let's do it. So, India five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh. Okay. Next, coming 14 years after its predecessor is Jurassic World. Ooh, Ooh. I'm glad we saved seven. Yeah. Yeah. We should put Mad Max higher in retrospect, but that's okay. Yeah, I no, I I buy that. Okay, Jurassic World at seven. Okay, two left. Uh, coming eleven years after its predecessor is Toy Story three. We gotta put I, a one, right? Like got I feel one like that's such a safe. Left. Yeah, and four is definitely. I mean, the next one's got to be Force Awakens. So ten years. I feel good. What, which do you like story. better, Toy Story or Force Awakens? Toy Story. Toy Story three is so good. Yeah, it is. 
I just love Force Awakens. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, 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 looking at the list as a whole, I think Toy Story makes. You can justify that over the other ones in I at least put, some ways. Yeah, I want to do a brief re-ranking in a moment, but yeah, let's go Perfect. Toy Story, Toy Story one, Toy Story three at one. Perfect. Uh, and then you guessed it. Ten years after its predecessor is The Force Awakens, so that'll be at nice. number four. Okay. Um, yeah, I think. In total, this is pretty accurate, I think. I think I would put Fury Road and Indy flipped. I would put it, Fury Road at four, probably. And I'd yeah. move... Well, I would I move... Blade Runner, I would put Toy Story 3 at three, and then Mad Max at four. And then everything else is, like, fine. Where would Force Awakens go? Uh, right Five. Now. And then Dial of Destiny would be at six. Fair. Or whatever. So you could get behind that. Your list. So what would be one? Your list right now, just for the for the group, and then you can do your individual lists if you want. Um, together, you have uh, at ten Space Jam: A New Legacy, at nine Superman right. Returns, at eight Tron Legacy, seven Jurassic World, six Mad Max: Fury Road, five Dial of Destiny, four Force Awakens, three Top Gun: Maverick, two Blade Runner: Twenty Forty Nine, and Toy Story Three at number one. That's what you're at. Oh, not bad. Not bad, boys. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. I'll take it. Wonderful. Um, with that, we did it. We're done. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Amazing. Jackson, where can they follow us on Instagram and TikTok? They can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at roughcut underscore pod. And Carter, where can they follow us on X? At roughcut underscore co. Follow us. Follow us on Spotify. Listen to us there. Mm-hmm. Shout out Film Yap. Shout out hello. Film Yap. Hello, hello. Shout out Jeff. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. As always. Oh, happy to be here, guys. Thanks for thanks for putting up with me. I know I was interrupting people and we love it. Going going off scripts and ah. talking about movies you're talking about, but don't reveal that we have a script for these episodes. Yeah, come on. Oh, <laughs> We're no. not the NFL. I can't read the I can't see the teleprompter from here. It's tough. <laughs> Um, next week, can I reveal what we're doing next week? Seeing double? Is that yeah. allowed? Okay, wonderful. The schedule has been posted on socials. Oh, okay, great. Uh, next year, next year, good God. Uh, next episode, Perfect. we are doing uh, The Green Hornet and Get Smart. So that'll be a fun one. Get back on mm-hmm. our bag there. So tune in next week for our discussion on that. Thanks again, Jeff. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.